Now, this is a particular challenge for me today because we have a service right behind this one. And I've been known to be a little lengthy. Indeed. Uh, so I'm going to try and be efficient. I'm going to try and be direct, but still also uh, be interesting. Hey, we got to. We got to do it. Man, thank you so much for being here this morning. It's a great crowd for uh, this first service. I appreciate you being here to do that with us. So the, the theme today is resurrecting you. And it's this idea that I mentioned as I was praying that, that the resurrection matters to us today. While we look at it and we think of it in historical terms, and, and in historical terms I mean both as a historical event and, and really the life of, of Jesus who, who divided literally history, right? He split history in two. And even our calendars reflect that. So we look at it as a historical event, but historically also as we tend sometimes to think of things that happened in the past, right? Do they, do they still have relevance today? Do they still matter today? And I want to share with you three different stories from Scripture that maybe give us an idea about that. But I want to say that the resurrection really is the ultimate event of Christianity. We celebrate Christmas, right? The, the birth of Christ. We, can go, we go all the way back even and we, we celebrate uh, God's uh, ordination of his people, the Jewish people, and how he set aside a group of people to proclaim his name into the nations of the earth. We celebrate uh, the miracles of Christ, the works that he did on earth when he was here. Uh, we, we revere his words. We study them. They're literally words to live by. And then, uh, you know, Good Friday, Black Saturday, the last two days, we, we contemplate, we think about the passion of the Christ. We think about his, his pouring out of his blood, the giving of his life, his breath being given literally to forgive us. But if the story stopped right there and the resurrection didn't occur, then the story really becomes just, it becomes a story of, of someone who was good and who was kind and who was willing to give his life for the benefit of others, but it doesn't reveal the power of God. See, the resurrection has to occur for God to demonstrate to us that every single thing that was said and done and that happened before that event, the resurrection event, that that God had the ability, the power, to do everything that he said he could do. Because ultimately, what is the great equalizer among all of us? Right? It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're famous or live in obscurity. It doesn't matter if you were the most popular person in high school. Uh, it doesn't matter if everybody thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread. At some point, every one of us, that breath that we sang about, that breath that we talked about, that breath will leave these earthly bodies and none of that other stuff, the popularity, the wealth, the obscurity, the status, what we did, none of it will matter to us. There might be things that we can do that leave a legacy for others, but they all face the same certain fate, and that's death. And the Bible tells us that death can be not only physical, but it can be eternal. And so, if Christ's only purpose was to come and to show us how to do good things, and then we do good things, or if Christ's only purpose was to come to show us how to say things that, that help people in their lives, and, and uh, we have some people uh, here that are involved in professions where they literally uh, help people physically, right? Medical profession. They help people mentally, spiritually, uh, counselors, 
Um, people are uh, doing uh, residential care, things like that. They're, they're helping people on, on the inside, often using the words of Christ to do that. If we're inspired to do those things, that's wonderful. But how do we reconcile the one flaw, the one problem that we all have, which is that we will all die? So the resurrection is the ultimate event of Christianity. It's required. For in it, God's plan to reconcile his creation to himself is made complete. It's finished there. While it could stand on its own without any issues, right? And God so often does this, he doesn't let it just stand there on its own merits. In fact, um, God often provides other signs other events to underscore, to emphasize the things that he's doing. And, and he's done this for us in the scriptures and, and kind of put in, even though the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate event of Christianity, God is so good that he put a couple of exclamation points on there just so we wouldn't miss how important it is. This is truly the power of the cross and the resurrection and its accompanying events is to show us this, to reveal this to us. While it stands on its own as a history-defining moment, his resurrection power is still active. It's still meaningful. It's still relevant to us today. So there are three events intimately related uh, to this theme that we're talking about that tell us deeply important truths about what God intends to do with us, what he wants to do for us and with us and through us. All right, so the first one I'm going to take you is John chapter 11. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn with me there, you can. John chapter 11, verse 17. It says this. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for, for four days. Now, the pre-story to this is Lazarus is a good friend. It tells us that. In fact, there's, there's a little bit of conversation that happens before this where Jesus is in another place, not too far away, but he's in another place, and word travels to him from uh, Mary... And Martha, uh, relatives of Lazarus, Martha particularly, she sends a message. She says, hey, your buddy Lazarus is sick, and it doesn't look good. And the disciples around Jesus, they're kind of, they're kind of in a buzz now. They're like, oh, well, we, we better go. Lazarus is sick. Uh, we better go. And Jesus says, eh, let's wait a while. And then word comes, Lazarus has died. And you can imagine what the conversation must have been around Jesus when they find out that Lazarus has died. You know, what would you say? You would say, well, we, we should have gone, right? Remember, the disciples are with him, and they've seen him heal people. They've seen him cause the sick to be well, the, the blind to see, the, the deaf to hear, and all of those things. They've seen all of this. This is, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth that this happens. They've seen incredible things. And Jesus says to them, look, don't worry. He basically says, the death that he has isn't fatal, is basically what he said. And so they make the trip to where Lazarus is, and Lazarus has been dead for four days. All right, so uh, Martha comes out. She heard that Jesus was coming. She comes out, and she says, man, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, and I don't imagine that that was a, we talk about this here sometimes, we tend to sanitize the way things sound in our head when we read the Bible. You're like, you know, Jesus, my Lord, 
If you had but been here, he would not yet be dead. But if you were in that circumstance, and Martha's just a human just like you, how would that conversation go with you? In fact, I bet if you're a believer, you've had conversations like that with God. What's wrong with you? What are you doing? This doesn't make sense. If only you'd shown up 10 minutes earlier, God, this would have turned out completely different. And that's the conversation that's happening here. And it is, listen, she's mourning. She's weeping, right? Her heart is broken. Her loved one has died. And she sees before her someone who could have maybe done something about it. So then Jesus says this to her. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, this was a belief that uh, the Jews had, much like uh, we learn in the, in the New Testament even, that, that when Christ returns, when the Messiah returns, all of those who have died in Christ, while their spirit is with God, the Bible says that he's going to basically reanimate them physically, and they will rise again. That's going to be cool, right? I don't want to die, but I want to be one of those guys. You know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I get it. And that's what she's saying. She says, oh, yeah, I totally get it. I totally believe that. I totally believe that one day he'll rise again. And then he, he kind of says, he says, no, you don't get it. And it's kind of that, you know, you do with your kids sometimes, you know, look at me. Look me in the face. He says, I am the resurrection. Resurrection isn't some place. It isn't some thing. It isn't some time. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, this thing, though it gives up, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I don't know. Martha had seen him do the miracles. Martha had spent time with him. Martha's looking at his face, and she's seeing the sincerity of his words. She's understanding who he is, and she says, I do. I do. I believe it. And the story tells us that Jesus uh, goes into the town, and he, and he, and he reaches forth, and he, he says to Lazarus, come out of there. And he comes hopping out, wrapped in his grave clothes. Can't see, doesn't know what's going on. But here he comes. I wonder if Martha had said, eh, no, I really don't. I'm not sure. Would Lazarus have stayed dead? I don't know. But here's what I know from that story. Jesus always intended to communicate as many messages as he could about resurrection. He talked about life and new life and being a new creation and all of these things over and over and over again. And the resurrection, the idea of resurrection was never really about him. It isn't something he does. It's, some, it's something he is. Right? It wasn't about, he wasn't 
talking even then, I am the resurrection. He wasn't, he wasn't speaking code for, well, you know, in just a couple of weeks, I'm actually going to rise from the dead. That's not what he was saying. He was saying that in him, in his person, who he is, is found life. And it's found nowhere else. It isn't something he does, it's something he is, and it's available, Jesus says, to all who believe. All who believe. All right, now the second story is the one that really revolves around today. Jesus' resurrection. We're familiar with the story. I'm going to give you some things here in a little bit, just in case you're not, but we're kind of familiar with the story that that here's Jesus, taken before Pilate, convicted simply of being who he was, but a threat to the government. That's what the, that's what the government people thought. They thought they were getting rid of a threat. Jesus knew that he was fulfilling the prophecies that said the Messiah would have to suffer, that the Messiah, the Messiah would have to die, that his blood would be shed, that his body would be broken to pay for the sins of mankind. He would be the final sacrificial lamb given as an offering to the Father. And those events transpire. Jesus is crucified. Jesus dies. He's taken down from the cross. He's put in a borrowed tomb. The tomb is sealed. There's rumors that Jesus had said, I'm going to rise again. You guys watch. This is going to be cool. I'm rising again. And so the government even put guards on the tomb, and they sealed that thing up. They put, a, they put an official seal on there, so that anyone would be afraid to come in and break that because the penalty for breaking the, the official seal would be death. And then we arrive at resurrection morning. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, his appearance is like, it's, he's a heavenly being, and he looks like a heavenly being. That must have been an astounding sight, must have been an astounding thing for them to see that. And they're like, whoa, what's happening? Uh, we came to anoint the body of Jesus. We came to care for the one that we love because it was the Sabbath. Uh, it was so late on the day on Friday that when he died, they couldn't work on the Sabbath, and they couldn't come in and anoint him with oils and with fragrances and care for the body like they would normally do with a loved one. So they came the next day. This is their plan. They even talked about, How's, how are we going to get in? Who's going who's to roll the stone away? We, we won't be able to do that. And they get there, and here is this heavenly being proclaiming to them these words. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you shall see him. See, I have told you. And then he says this. So they go off, right? They're like, wow, we're going to go find it. And as they're going, it says this. Behold, Jesus met them. And said, greetings. And they came up and they took a hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Can you imagine the joy of that moment? I mean, think about someone that you've lost, that you would love to see again. If, if, they, if they were standing before you in all of their glory, 
what joy would rise in your heart? You, you might not fall at your feet and worship them, right? But man, you're going to hug them. You're going to kiss them. You're going to laugh. You're going you're to put their face in your hands and go, it's you, it's really you. And that's what's happening here, right? Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him, and then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. So one of the things that I know about the resurrection is that it wasn't just about Jesus, it was about us. And it wasn't just something he did. He is the resurrection. Another thing I know is that Jesus' resurrection is our invitation to cast off all of our fear. To cast off all of our fear. He says it right here. Don't be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. But we wrestle with our fears, right? But what about those people that were there then uh, and, and some that struggle today? You know, what about the fear of, of the blind and the deaf and the, and the lame and, and the fear of death? How are we supposed to, to throw off those fears for our life and our death? And it's because in the resurrection we find this truth, and it can be a hard one to grab onto. Struggles of this life are temporary because this life is temporary. This earthly existence, the Bible describes it like, like grass in a field. It, it grows for a season and then it withers. It's gone. The struggles of this life are temporary because this life is temporary. And in his death and his resurrection, what we find instead is the indications of a new beginning that lasts forever. See, I, I'm, I'm like you. I get so wrapped up in this life and what this life is about that sometimes I forget that there's an eternity waiting for me. There's an eternity waiting for each and every one of us. And our question that we wrestle with is where will we spend that eternity? Will we spend it in the presence of God, enjoying him fully and doing all of the wonderful things that he's planned for us to do for all of eternity? Or will we spend it in a place that's completely separated and completely suffering away from God? A place where the presence of God does not exist at all. And so sometimes I have to challenge myself to put my struggles in perspective. It doesn't mean they're not important, but it means I might make them more important than they should be. And his resurrection reminds us that there's more than this life, that really it's intended to be a new beginning. All right, last story. We find it in Matthew chapter 27. So we're going backwards a little bit, but it's important. Jesus is on the cross. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That means he died. This is the moment. He cried out. His breath left his body and he died. 
And then some things happened. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And this was a symbol uh, of how uh, common people, uh, people other than the priests, were separated from the presence of God. That's what this curtain symbolized. Only the priests could go behind the curtain. When Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two, telling us that, that the presence of God is available to all who will, who will seek him. The, temple, uh, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. It was a cataclysmic event, right? And then this. And the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, maybe you've not paid attention to this part of the story. It's only found in this gospel, in the gospel of Matthew. It's not found anywhere else. And there are some who say, oh, this is one of those mythical things that got added later. The problem with that is usually when writers of the day would add things that were sort of apocryphal or mythical or big, like lies, <laughs> they would do what we tend to do when we lie, which is to embellish it would become this big, grandiose thing. And it's just, it's just here. It's just a statement right here. Oh, so the, the, the curtain tore, the rock split, the temple foundation shook, and tombs opened up. And after Jesus was resurrected, people in those tombs were resurrected, and they came forth too, and people saw them. And so here's the third thing that I know from these stories, is the resurrection story didn't end when Jesus was resurrected. When he died, he ripped off the door of the grave and he said, new life is possible for you. The dead who rose after his resurrection were God's declaration that the work of the cross was complete, but the work of the resurrection was just beginning. We will all die in this flesh. God promised us in the person of Jesus Christ that we can enjoy a new life here on earth, that's abundant and has purpose. This life is not a throwaway. This life is not a do-over. It matters. It can have purpose, and it can be a life rich and full with meaning and purpose. And I think it does have eternal importance. We're like, we're training now to be reigning with Christ later. We want to become in this life the kind of people who want to live in the presence of God for eternity. But he's promised us a life here on earth that's abundant with purpose and meaning as well as the security of life with him for all of eternity. He wants to resurrect our broken down, dead existence that we live in today and bring us to real life. And here's kind of how that happens. I don't know if you can see those. I hope you can. This is a simple little thing called faith. F is for forgiveness. Everyone sinned and needs God's forgiveness. His forgiveness is available uh, in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. All right, so faith in Christ leads us towards salvation. Uh, A. Salvation is available for all. God's forgiveness is available to all, but it is not automatic. You have to receive it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world 
He gave his only, I'll read this one. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But here's how we know it's not automatic. Because here in Matthew 7, 21, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. All right? And then I is for impossible. According to the Bible, it is impossible for us to work our own way to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8. By grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. T is for turn. If you were going down the wrong road and someone told you to turn, asked you to turn, what would you be asking? That, what, would, what would you do? I need to read this one here. If you were going down the wrong road and someone asked you to turn, wouldn't it be wise to listen? And that's what the Bible tells us. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 13, verse 3. Unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Right? So you have to turn. That's what repent means. You have to turn. And the place to turn is to Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then finally, H stands for how. How can a person have God's forgiveness, eternal life, and heaven? You have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's how. That's how you do it. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, here we are, Resurrection Sunday, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. So it lands here. God touches our hearts. We know the truth from the inside out. And then we respond by proclaiming that he is Lord. And we want him to save us. I can't make it much more simple than that. I can't make it much more direct than that. Would you bow your heads with me? I just want you to take like 30 seconds. 30 seconds, all these words that have been spoken, all these things that have been said, what is God doing with you? Is God speaking to you this morning? Is God suggesting to you? Is God calling to you and telling you, hey, this message was for you. You've, you've got a broken down life. You're afraid of death because you don't know where you're going to go and you don't know where you're going to be. You're afraid of your struggles because the struggles are bigger than you are and you can't face them on your own. And maybe God is touching you in your heart. You're sensing that. And what that is, is God is calling you to come to him. Come to salvation. Receive Christ. Receive his gift. And be saved. Now, there's no magic prayer, there's no magic words, but there are some components that we think are important. And so I've, I've put together this, this kind of prayer this morning that if you wanted to pray this, if you're saying to yourself, you know what, I do want to follow Christ, then this might be the prayer that you could pray. And if you want to do that, you can pray it in your heart along with me as I read it here, all right? Dear God, I understand that you love me. I also understand I've done things that were against what you desire in the Bible. 
calls that sin. Because of my sin, I'm in need of your salvation. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose from the dead to prove that he could give me a life on earth that matters and a life in heaven for all of eternity. I want to turn away from my sin. Place my faith in Jesus as my Savior and Lord and live my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Save me now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment.